and he is worthy. So I was speaking in a camp in Kentucky, and I decided to do something that I had never done before, and I used an illustration about playing video games. Now, as an adult, I've only played video games twice, once with my son, once with my grandson. I was playing a video game with my grandson, and he was killing me in every way imaginable. But I was telling this illustration about the video game. And while I was doing that, a kid stood up right in the middle of the section where I was speaking. Kids. And he said, oh, kids. Speaking of kids, kids are supposed to go that way right now. <laughs> Thank you very much, James, for helping me there. Bethel kids over there with Amy and Andrew. Thanks a bunch. So you remember what I was talking about? For those of you who are old, I'll start over. Anyway, I speak at this camp. I was using an illustration about video games. And a kid stands up right in the middle of the boys' section. He goes, dude, you are talking my language right now. That's what he said. I thought, wow, if only that ever happened at Bethel, you know. Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, and verses 13 through chapter 4 and verse 1, is speaking the language of the Greek, Grecians, because their sport was the Olympic sport, if you will. And one of the things that was a big part of the Olympic games, or those kinds of games in that time, the pan Isthmian games and so forth, was obviously was, was endurance running. It was a stadia, a long a dash, or, or even the marathon, long endurance running. And this is the illustration that Paul is going to use to describe following Jesus. Jesus is going to say to the Greeks there, it's like a marathon. Listen to what he says as I read the text today, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's saying, I'm following Jesus, I'm helping others follow Jesus. That's what he's saying. And it's like a marathon. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in any way you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame, and their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. You're going to have to take this by faith, but I used to be a distance runner. 
And when I was a younger man, I was in a half marathon up in Ludington, and I went out on this half marathon running, and there was an elderly lady there, and she had a boom box, and she was playing theme to Rocky on a boom box. And I thought, how corny is that, you know? It's so corny. But then, you know, a half marathon is a whole lot of miles, over 13 miles of running. By the time I came looping back around and I was finishing that 13 miles, when I heard the theme to Rocky, I cried like a baby. And there was a little boy standing there, this little sweet kid, and I'm on the last mile, and i got to finish this race. I'm on the last mile, and this little kid holds up a, a popsicle to me, and I'm like, I love you, kid. Thank you. And I took that. It was such an emotional experience. If I could find that kid, I might leave him in my will. He would get a lot of theological books and commentaries. Paul has likened following Jesus here to a strenuous race. And I want to talk to you today about how you can finish strong and how you can finish faithful. Sometimes it's just hard when you realize how difficult it's going to be to follow Jesus, to live a Christian life. It's just, it's really hard for all of us. It may be that we're crushed with, with uh, family problems, or it might be that we're crushed with financial problems, or it might be that we have disappointments that come in or people let us down. There are a whole lot of different hardships Jesus doesn't promise to deliver us from hardships, but through the hardships. He, through the Apostle Paul here, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's saying, you're going to have to press on. And Paul himself says, I, I haven't perfected this, but it's something that I aspire to. Last night, my last word to my new son-in-law, name, whose name is Tim Kolb, was, he was out in the yard, and he and Hope were getting ready to jump in that Jeep and take off and start their life together. And, I, and he's a precious young man. And I looked him in, in the eye, and I said, well, now that you, we're married, you know, I promise I will treat you like my own son. And I said to him, Tim, be patient with each other. Be patient with each other. You got all your life. Be patient with each other. Paul, in this text... He's saying, not that I have already obtained or that I'm already perfect. Paul's saying, I'm going to be patient with myself. He's kind of implying, please be patient with me. He's kind of implying, I'll be patient with you. Hey, Bethel people, uh, friends, loved ones, brothers, sisters. You know, we're people. And so we're flawed. And if we're believers, even though we're believers, we still have indwelling sin. That is irritating sometimes. That's frustrating sometimes. Can I just say, uh, Remind us here that one of the elements of finishing faithful and strong is brothers and sisters just being patient with each other. Paul wasn't perfected yet. If Paul's not perfected yet, you aren't perfected yet. And I know I'm not. And I appreciate it if you'd be patient with me because I really am trying. And I promise I'll be patient with you. Look around at people and think to yourself, I'm going to be patient with you because you're my brother, you're my sister. And today I want to talk to you about three things from this text, which are very plain and very clear, about how to finish strong and about how to finish faithful. I want to just tell you up front, so if you want to quit listening, you can. Number one, know what you want. Number one, know what you want. Verses 12 through 16, Paul is declaring what he wants. He knows what he wants. If you want to finish strong and finish faithful, I'm going to say, know what you want. Number two, know 
who to follow. In verses 17 through 19, you have two options of who you're going to follow. Know who you're going to follow. Know what you want. Know who you're going to follow. Number three, know what you're looking forward to. Know what you're looking forward to, why you're getting out of bed in the morning. Chapter 3, verse 20 through chapter 4, verse 1. That's the outline we're going to go through today. Let's back up now to verses 12 through 16. And let's just say this. If you want to finish strong and faithful, know what you want. And obviously, you want to want what you ought to want. At the end of this race is Jesus. And that's what Paul is really, he's saying it in a, in a poetic way, but he's essentially saying that. How does he say it? He's pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He could have said, I'm, I am... I want to know Christ. He did a few verses earlier. I want to know Christ, and I want to make Christ known. That's what I'm doing. He could have said, I want to follow Jesus, and I want to help others follow Jesus. He could have said that. I think that's the heart of what Paul is saying. People, Jesus, can I say that without condescension, people? Jesus is ultimate. Someday we'll all know that Jesus is ultimate. Treat him as ultimate right now in your life, in your family, in your work, in all that you do. That doesn't mean that God's a cosmic killjoy because he's the one that created all the things that delight us. But see Christ in all things and make him the goal of your, the entire goal of your life. And here's why. When you come to the end of your life, inasmuch as we spent our time in things that were Christless or did not have Christ at the core, by that time, they will sicken us. Hope and Lois and I went out for dinner about a year or two, year and a half ago. We went out for dinner. won't tell you where. That's really not important. But we went out for dinner to a restaurant that we would normally like, and they served us food that was really not good. As a matter of fact, the meat was, I could be descriptive about this, but you really don't want me to. It was not good. And we have never returned and you know why that is? Because every time I see that restaurant, it activates my gag reflex. I just want to be sick. I can't eat there anymore. And one day, when we look back on our life, and we see the things that did not have Christ at the core, oh, they won't be things that delight us. They'll be things that, oh, why? Why did I burn my time? Why did I waste my time? Brothers, he said, verse 13, I do not consider I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and again, this is in reference to what? Primarily his achievements that he's just listed. Putting those things behind, I put behind me all those things that the world said were achievements because Christ is more important than all of those achievements. And he said, I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. I'm pressing on. He's using kind of runner language, isn't he? He's using, he's using the language of endurance. And then this beautiful phrase, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I cannot watch a race, a running race, without weeping. I don't even have to know who the people are, but to see people giving that kind of strenuous effort in running does something to me. That's the kind of effort, of course, we understand that we're believers because of whose righteousness ours or the righteousness of christ because of the righteousness of christ and we're, be, and we're being made like him by the power of the holy spirit 
But in that process of sanctification, there is strenuous human effort involved. God inspires it. God gives us the impulse for it. God empowers it. But yet to be like Christ requires strenuous effort that's given an impulse by the Holy Spirit that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying, I don't want, to, I don't want you to be deceived about this. This is going to get hard. So the number one way, Paul, Paul's giving us the number one way to finish strong and faithful is to know what you want. And the thing that you ought to want is the one who's going to be there at the end, the Lord Jesus. The second thing is to know who to follow. In verse 17, he says something interesting. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? It's almost a little, hmm. Why doesn't he say we should all imitate Christ? Why doesn't Paul say we should just all imitate Christ? It seems like that would be the higher road here. It seems like that would be the higher ground. I have a theory. Would you like to hear it? Okay, I will tell you. Here's what I believe. Paul knew this. The spirit who inspired Paul obviously knew this, that we needed human examples besides the human divine example that is Christ, but actual human examples that are in our lives, flesh and blood people who we can lay eyes on, we can listen to their conversation, who are further down the road than us, that he says a big part of whether you're going to finish faithful and strong is going to be who your companions are. Are they friends of the cross or are they enemies of the cross? Are they friends of the cross? That's what he's going to say. Listen to what he says. Brothers, join in imitating me. Verse 17. Keep your eyes on those who walk according, there it is again, to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you now, and I tell you even now with tears, they are, they walk as enemies of the cross. And then he describes them in four ways. In the end, they're going to be destroyed. Right now, they have, their, their appetites are sensual. Their God is their belly. Their glory is in things they should be ashamed of. And their minds are just exclusively set on the things of earth without regard for eternal things. This is a description of the culture that we live in. This is a description of the air that we breathe, the water we swim in. This is the, this is the culture in which we're trying to raise our children to follow Christ. People who really, whether they know it or not, are not friends of the cross. They don't value the cross. They don't love the cross. They're actually enemies of the cross of Christ in that they are going to come to a destructive end. They have sensual appetites. Their glory is in things they ought to be ashamed of, and their mind is set on earthly things. And Paul is saying, no, the people that you want to run with are people who are citizens of heaven, they act like their citizenship is in heaven. Their values are heavenly. They love the Lord. I'm telling you this in a very practical way. As your pastor, one of the most profound things that you can do, you're doing right now. You're sitting with people who love the Lord. You're seeking the Lord today. You could have gone to a tanning bed, but instead you came to church to get your tan, no extra charge. You're with God's people. You're with people who love the Lord. You're with people who tear up when they sing. You're with people who's, who want to raise their kids to follow Jesus. You know that you don't want to get, go into eternity on your own merits. You know that you're going on the merits of Christ. You come to church not just because you get something out of it. You come to church to please the Lord and to bless the Lord and to let him know that you're grateful for all that he's done for you. You come to church because there are others around you who might need a word of encouragement. These are the kind of people 
People who love the Lord, people who love the cross, people who run faithfully are the people that you want to have as your closest fellowship associates. Understand, he wants us in the world, so we want to have all kinds of friends, good, bad, and ugly. We want to have all kinds of friends, believers and unbelievers. We want to be friendly and loving and compassionate to every man, to every woman. But our close fellowship should be with a handful of strong runners who are out ahead of us, who are running a little faster, who are pulling us forward. If you've done any distance running, you know you get somebody out in front of you and then you try to reel them in, right? Somebody that's running out ahead that's stronger than you. In my case, that was usually some old lady, about 65 years old. I'm like, if I could just overtake her by the end, you know, I will have accomplished something. I bet I beat grandma today. I had a friend, and he was a pastor. His name was Dan Cummings. No relation to our beloved Leo Cummings, other than in Christ. But Dan was a runner, and he was a really fast runner. He was a powerful runner. He would run in the crim race, and the, the character in that we managed, the hotel we managed was the host of the crim race. And I would run in the crim race, but, but Dan would run, and the Kenyans would finish, and then you could watch the Kenyans streak across down the bricks on the, the crim race. You could watch them finish, and then you could look back, and you could wait just a little bit, and in a, in a couple of minutes, there would be these elite runners behind those Kenyans, and Dan Cummings, the pastor in his early 40s at the time, would be among them. And guys like that run, their heels go up as high as their head when they're finishing. They are cooking, right? This is the kind of runner he was. On top of that, though, he was a profoundly good pastor, and he was a theologian, and he was an exemplary man. And Dan contracted uh, colon cancer, and he went to be with the Lord early. But in that race I was telling you about earlier, the Ludington uh, Lake Stride Half Marathon, Dan and I both ran in that race. Now, Dan was way, I, I never saw him. I never saw him at the finish. He lined up with elite runners. I wasn't allowed to be anywhere near him. But at the end of the race, he waited for me. He waited a long time for me, but he waited for me. And when I got done, i never forget Dan as I was coming across that line. Here's this man that I admired that was such a powerful runner. And he said, Ken, you're looking good. You're looking strong. You're on your times. I'll never forget that. And then when Dan passed, I thought to myself, well, he did it again, didn't he? He finished ahead of me, and he's going to be waiting. People, can you imagine who's going to be waiting you at the finish line besides our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? But those who are faithful, can I just tell you, this is the most practical advice, and that is you need to look around and find some Dan Cummings kind of guys or gals. Young people, listen. You're going to be friends with everybody. Of course you are. You're a Christian. You should. You should love people. But listen, you're going off to college. Find that Christian group now. Find that Christian group. I was at Barakeld. I was speaking, and I talked to a young lady who goes to um, the Saginaw Valley. No, I'm sorry, that's not right. What is it over in, uh, in West Michigan? Anyway, can't remember, but there's a college over there she goes to. Anyway, and, uh, and uh, Grand Valley, Grand Valley uh, in, in Grand Rapids. And I said to her, I said to this young lady as, as camp was wrapping up toward the end of the summer, I said to her, I, where do you go to school? And she said she goes to Grand Valley over there. And I said, wow, I, I feel kind of bad for you. You know, leaving an atmosphere like this at camp and then going over to a secular university, that must be a real shock to your system. You know what she said to me? It was delightful. She said, no, not at all. I'm in a Christian group over there. And when I go over there, it's like revival every time we meet. I'm like, praise God. Young people, can I tell you this? 
You may not be able to meet with a huge group of people who love the Lord and know the Lord, but you should be able to find one or two or three that you admire their faith. My, my daughter Hannah had a, a college roommate, and Hannah said, Dad, every morning when I woke up, it might be 5 o'clock in the morning, it might be 6 o'clock in the morning, but when I woke up, my roommate, out of courtesy to me, would get out of her bed to read her Bible. She'd go over in the corner of the room, take a little lamp in the corner of the room. Every morning I woke up, she was over there, and she was seeking the Lord. She was reading her Bible. If you want to finish strong and faithful, you want to pick people who love the cross of Christ, who are exemplary. You literally should think of their names and who they are. That's really what Paul is saying here. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in me. Many whom I've often told you now tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Remember their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. Now that brings us to the third thing. Number one, if you want to finish faithful and strong, know what you want. You want Christ. If you want to finish faithful and strong, know who to follow. You follow Christ by following others who are following Christ. Get people in your life like that to finish strong. And third, know what you're looking forward to. And this is what we're looking forward to. Our citizenship is in heaven. Notice what it says. From it, we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And, and this phrase is a powerful, beautiful, poetic phrase that expresses the sovereignty of God, that he's sovereign, powerful over everything. Listen, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself, God is able to subject every other power to himself. He is ultimate in power. He's sovereign. Now, we think of what Paul was saying is, I know he's going to take every ugly thing, every rebel thing, every dark thing, every perverted thing, even the perverted things that are in, my, in the deepest parts of my own heart, and one day he's going to take them out by the roots if I'm in Christ, and he's going to give me a glorified body, and in soul and spirit and body, in my glorified body, I'll be with the Lord forever. That's where my citizenship is. That is my highest loyalty. That is my love. People, I want to encourage you today. If you want to finish strong and faithful, you got to remember your real loyalty isn't your Big Ten, isn't your Big Ten team. They're not even playing this fall. Jesus says, Hey, Ken, I want some of your attention this fall. No football games. I'm like, Are you kidding me right now? That's what's going to, I guess we're going to get a little more Bible reading. Sermons are going to get better. Something to look forward to. Lois is going to have a little more help in the candle shows this fall. But, but he, there's something bigger than that. That's a loyalty, but there's something bigger than that loyalty. I love Michigan so much. Such a beautiful state. I'm loyal to my state. I love this state. But my greatest loyalty isn't to Michigan. It's not even to the wonderful United States of America, which I deeply love. But it is to Christ and to the citizenship of heaven. Now, when we think about that and we constantly think my citizenship is ultimately in heaven, it changes everything we do. It changes how we behave. It changes how we think. It helps us to finish faithful. And it helps us when we're disappointed. Will you allow me a personal illustration? My daughter got married yesterday. Do you mind if I mention this? My daughter, my daughter, the baby of our family, Hope America, our baby. Can I tell you this? I don't want to be indelicate, but Hope didn't come along by accident. 
Hope came along as an answer to prayer. I felt in my heart, God, would you give us another little girl? Then from now on, I can always introduce myself as, hi, I'm Ken Pierpont. I have four sons and four daughters. I just thought it sounded cool. And I just felt like we ought to have, and God gave us a little girl. She's born at the Gerber Memorial Hospital in Fremont, Michigan. She was the Gerber princess when her big sister was, was the Gerber queen that year. It was pretty cool. Yesterday, she got married. Can I tell you what it's like to have eight kids? I'll tell you a little bit about what it's like to have eight kids. It's like this. You have two baseball games on the same night in different places, and you have to decide which baseball game you're going to go to. And the night you go to the one kid's baseball game, he strikes out every time. And then when you go to ice cream afterward, the other one had the game of his life, the one you didn't see. That's what it's like to have eight kids. What it's like to have eight kids is you can have one girl who has been uh, elected as the queen of the Gerber days, and she's riding the float, and you're driving the float. And while you're driving the float and looking in the rearview mirror at your daughter while she's waving at the crowd, and all the people are saying, hey, Holly, congratulations, Holly. I love you, Holly. You look over, and another one of your daughters is on the sideline over there, and she looks like she's in pain. And an hour later, she's in the hospital, and she has acute uh, appendectomy. She has an appendectomy, acute appendicitis, has to have an appendectomy. A few years later, one daughter's getting married, and the other daughter at the reception begins to look kind of pale. Her water breaks, and they whisk her off to the hospital because they think the baby's coming early. That's a little bit what it's like to have eight kids. Or you can be, um, or you can be at a wedding like yesterday, and you can look forward to all your kids being home. And they live in Oregon, and New Mexico, and Texas, and Wisconsin, and other places in Michigan. But for one sweet, sacred moment, they're all going to be in one place at one time. And you want to slow the clock down. And then your wife says, Ken, you need to get them all in the picture now. And she's not fooling. You know this is serious. Somebody says, Caitlin can't get in the picture. She's in pain. They're going to take her to the hospital. Lois says, Caitlin, come over here and get in the picture before you go to the hospital. I'm not getting with you. She gets a picture of the poor thing, and she's in the hospital right now. And she's very sick. That's what it's like to be a father of eight. And when I was turning off all the lights last night, wrapping up all the cords, picking up all the stuff, I was thinking... When do we all get to be together? When do we all get to just sit down? When do we all just get to look at each other, take our time, have something good to eat, have something good to do, not have anywhere to go? And a little voice said to me, Ken, your citizenship is in heaven. And if your sons and if your daughters know Jesus, one day forever, we will be together in the presence of Jesus Christ, who we will love with all of our hearts. Finish the race. We know it will be hard. We know you will not be alone. We, knew, we know that you will be well compensated forever. I want to pray a blessing on you. May God give you grace to endure whatever you have to endure to finish strong and faithful for the glory of God. Let me put it the way Paul put it. 
Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord. God bless you.